We're going to look again at how God operates and how God works through people, obedient people, who just want his glory. So let's read together Nehemiah 2, verses 1 to 10. He says this, And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I'd never been sad in his presence before. Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid. And said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? Then the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, how long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river, that they must permit me to pass through Till I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple, for the city wall and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray now as we just look at some of these verses. Um, Lord, you will challenge us and encourage us. You'll help us to see what an amazing God you are, that we might bring glory to you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I know that Pastor Phil last week began the book of Nehemiah. He looked at Nehemiah chapter 1. I just want to do a really quick recap of chapter 1 before we get into today's message. So what we have is this guy, Nehemiah, who was a Jew serving in exile as a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. And that was in Persia, which is modern-day Iran. And what had happened is, in 538 BC, Babylon was conquered by Cyrus the Great. And he gave permission for these Jews held in captivity to return to their homeland, to Judah. And particularly to go back to Jerusalem. But out of all the maybe thousands, thousands, maybe millions, I don't know how many were there, um, that could have gone back, only around about 50,000 went home, we're told. So the rest remained where they were. And we have this uh, man here, Nehemiah, who would have been born to parents who remained in exile, which means that he would have never have seen 
Jerusalem. But we are told in in chapter 1 that some men from Judah visited Persia and Nehemiah inquired as to the state of Jerusalem and for those people who had left to go back there. And he heard that all was not well. And we are told that what he heard caused him to weep. He heard that his people were in great anguish and the walls were broken and the gates burned. Now it's interesting that Nehemiah weeps for these people. He never been to Jerusalem. He probably didn't know most or even any of those people there. But God had placed something in his heart when he heard these words that caused him to grieve and to weep. What could he do about this desperate situation? Well, we we read in chapter 1 last week that he prayed and he fasted. He prayed and he fasted. And this morning, what I want us to do is consider three things that we can learn from Nehemiah's reaction to what he heard about the plight of his fellow Jews in Jerusalem. And the first point is this, Ian, please. Number one is this. Ian, please. (laughs) The first one, I'll tell you what it is anyway, then it'll appear on the screen. There you go. Nehemiah was not moved, but burdened. Nehemiah was not moved, but burdened. I want to explain this morning the difference between being moved by something and being burdened by that. Um, As you know, our our daughter Beth is at university in Lancaster. And um, um, Kath and all my kids, I've told you all this before, but if you don't know me, you may have not heard this before. They're all insulin, uh, type 1 insulin diabetics. And so uh, Beth moving away means that she has to have her diabetes checked at the local doctor's surgery rather than the hospital. Now, one thing Beth hates is having her blood taken. Anybody here enjoy having blood taken? No one. Oh, I I thought Kim was going to put a hand up there. Nearly moved. She was just moving. Uh, No one enjoys that, but for Beth, it's a trauma. I remember we remember taking Beth to the hospital when she was little. And back then, they used to take blood out of the back of the hand, which is terrible in and of itself. They tried to rub this sort of stuff on it that would numb the back of her hand, and then they would sort of take the blood from her. It was always a real trauma. So for her to go away, now she has it where adults have it taken from here. It's always a massive trauma. And she was telling her friend, one of her housemates, who's called Sev, about this. She said, oh, Sev, you know, I'm really anxious about going and everything. And Sev, after hearing this, was moved to go with Beth to the doctors so that Beth could have her blood taken. And Beth was happy. Someone was going to go with her. Sev says, look, I'll be there. I'll hold your hand. I'll be right next to you. So they went along to the doctor's surgery. And... Uh, Beth sat in this chair, and like a, a practice would be, she wouldn't want to look at what they're doing, and she's crunching her eyes up, and Sev's holding her hand, and they're trying to get blood out of her arm, and suddenly, with her eyes tightly closed, Beth hears this great big thud, and she opens her eyes to find Sev flat out on the floor. <laughs> She'd passed out on the floor. And Beth was like, you're supposed to be here to support me. Bless Sev. She said she will go again but she'll probably not look next time. But she was moved to help Beth. You see, we're constantly moved by things, but we are rarely burdened by things. Perhaps many times, a week perhaps it might be, we will hear or see something that moves us. Uh, Perhaps we're watching television with our takeaway on our lap, and an advert comes on showing a child starving in Africa, and we will be momentarily moved by that image. But then that advert finishes, and the next advert is to tell you that the DFS sale is still on. 
and suddenly your mind's gone and you took into your takeaway. You know, occasionally we are moved uh, for a slightly longer period. Perhaps on our social media, someone will post something and you'll watch it and it will move you. That happened to me recently. Um, I saw this uh, video and it was a guy, it was in Ireland, I think they were in, in, in Belfast, I think. It could have been Dublin, I can't remember. But it was definitely an island somewhere, one of those islands. And this guy was interviewing people on the street and people had voted uh, for abortion in the country. You may have remembered last year there was a great vote about abortion and it showed all these women celebrating because they can abort their children now. You think it's just terrible. And this guy was going out on the street and interviewing people and asking people how they had voted. And they said, oh, we voted for it, we voted for it, we voted for it. And then he began to tell them all the things they didn't know that, that their vote, yes, meant. And there were some horrific things in there. So much so that after watching it, everyone he interviewed said, if I'd have known that, I would have said no rather than yes. And after watching it, I found myself welling up and, and crying about it. So I did what I thought I should do is I reposted it on my Facebook page. I was moved to repost it on my Facebook page. And then I could quickly forget about it again, couldn't I? I wasn't burdened by what I'd, I'd seen. I was only moved by it. Occasionally in church, we get moved by things, don't we? Uh, we might have someone who's a missionary abroad somewhere who may come in and tell us all the sort of terrible things that's going on in the country in which they're a missionary. They may say people are being martyred, people are being, you know, imprisoned, uh, you know, they're, they're losing their lives. It's a desperate situation. And we're moved for that few moments. And then after the church service, we'll go out and have our drinks and we'll maybe talk about the weather or we'll talk about football or we'll talk about, by comparison, our insignificant problems. You see, we are easily moved, but we are rarely burdened. And what we find here with Nehemiah is that when he heard about the plight of the Jews in Jerusalem, he was not only moved, he was very quickly burdened. He was burdened. In chapter 1, verse 4, it says, So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before God, the God of heaven. He wept, he mourned, he fasted, he prayed. And do we know how long he wept and mourned and fasted and prayed? Well, it's interesting, it tells us in these verses here. In chapter 1 and verse 1, it says he heard the news, news in the month of Kislev, um, which is November, December time. And then in chapter 2 and verse 1, it said it was the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of the king Artaxerxes, which is like March, April. So he was fasting and praying and mourning for these things for at least three months, probably nearer four months that he was, he was burdened for this. It burdened him and gripped him so much. Man, many of us struggle to pray for four minutes. And yet here is a guy, not moved, but burdened by what he had heard. And Nehemiah spent four months seeking God before approaching the king. You know, sometimes we need to seek God, and it can be for a lengthy period of time, before we move and act on something. There is a reason I want to suggest this morning that we're often moved but rarely burdened. And it's called comfort. The enemy of burden, I would suggest, is comfort. We are moved, but we don't want to give up our comfort. It's far too costly to get involved in some things. 
You know, we have a, a ministry, a great ministry called Real Hope on a Wednesday evening. And uh, we have a Friday morning breakfast as well. And uh, we see many people coming to these uh, ministries who are in desperate need. And our heart goes out to them. And, you know, we may be moved by being in their presence for that time. We, we pity those who are trapped in addiction to drugs and alcohol. Their lives so messed up that they cannot choose the right. Their lives so bound that they cannot respond to the issues around them. But friends, let's not fool ourselves. This is us as well. We're just trapped in a different kind of addiction. An addiction to comfort. Our lives have become so materialistic that we cannot choose the right. Our lives are so bound by our comfort that we cannot respond to those needs around us. You see, we're moved, but we're rarely burdened. We care, but not enough to leave our comfort to do something about it. Now, Nehemiah lived in comfort. He was the cupbearer to the king. That was a high position. That was, that was a top place. That's a top place to be. A, a place of trust. A place where he had the ear of the king. A place where he would have lived in comfort. He would have had all his needs met, I'm sure. But he was so burdened, not just moved, he was burdened that he was wanting and able and willing to leave his safety, his comfort, because he became burdened for a people he didn't know, in a place that he never visited. And his burden led him to action. And the reality is for us all this morning, and I challenge myself as I'm as I'm writing this and thinking about this and praying about this this week, is how often am I not only moved, but burdened for something. So burdened that I'm going to do something about it. Nehemiah was not moved, but he was burdened. The second point is this. That Nehemiah was not resigned, but resolved. He was not resigned, but resolved. Uh, Bruce and I, uh, when we do our radio show, we still do that thing. And we were looking at an article from Christian Concern just recently. We were talking about it. Because the article was talking about something called resignation theology versus resistance theology. Let me unpack that in simple terms. It was saying there are those of us who are just resigned to things. Well, Reza, you know, he's, he's banged to right. They're not going to let him stay. Let's just resign ourselves. He's going to have to go back and let's think about looking after Lee and Bonnie. That's resignation theology. But then there are those who are into resistance theology. No, we're not going to let Reza go back. We're going to fight for him. Because we're going to be burdened for him and do something about it. Resignation and resistance. Nehemiah was not resigned, but he was resolved. He was going to resist that was happened. When he heard that news of what was happening in, in Jerusalem and in Judah, he could have resigned himself to that. He could have said, well, look, I'm 800 miles away. I'm the cupbearer to the king. I don't want to leave my comfort. There's nothing I can do about that. I'm just going to maybe pray about it. And leave it to God. I'm going to resign myself to that situation. But no, he resolved to do something about it. He resisted. You know, the Bible is full of examples of people uh, acting in resistance to things. Because that's what God wants of us, really. He doesn't want us to be resigned about things. But he wants us to resist things. And we could do a whole sermon on that and what that means in our, in our day to day. But we might find ourselves at times saying, oh, well, what can we do? God's just working out his plans. It's all in his hands. Let's just leave it to him. This is how we can often think. And Nehemiah could have thought that 
And actually, no one would have had a problem with that, would they? I thought, well, what can you do? You know, I know you're sad for us, but what can you do about it? He had a cushy job 800 miles away. He could have said, God, I pray you help them because I can't. But that wasn't his mentality. Friends, we can so easily be resigned to what's happening around us instead of resisting it. Let me give you a few examples. We can be resigned to the fact that Muslims in Bradford cannot be reached with the gospel. We, we can be resigned to that. So it's never going to happen. They're too much into their stuff. Um, you know, we, we just need getting nowhere with them. We just resign ourselves. Let's leave them alone. Let's maybe just pray by it. We could resign ourselves to that. We could resign ourselves to the fact that men and women who come to real hope week in and week out will never change. Uh, we could resign ourselves to the fact that our prodigal son or daughter will never come back to the faith. We might resign ourselves to the fact we'll never get in a new church building. We can resign ourselves to all kinds of things, but call, God calls us not to re resignation theology, but to resistance theology, to have a resolve that something's going to change. And Nehemiah was not resigned, but resolved. Let us not be resigned. Let us resist these thoughts and resolve to see God moving, to bring about new life to see Muslims becoming Christians, to see those in real hope being set free from their addictions to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, to see our loved ones who've drifted away from the faith to come back to the faith, to see ourselves in that new church building. Let us have a resistance and a resolve. These things are going to come to pass and not just resign ourselves to what we think is going to happen. Now, Nehemiah was not moved but burdened. He was not resigned, but he was resolved. And he resisted. And to this end, the Bible tells us he prayed and he fasted. Here's a challenge for each one of us this morning. When was the last time, if ever, we've been so burdened for a person, for a ministry, for a situation, for the glory of God to be upheld, that we petitioned the Lord day and night, that we fasted and we prayed in all seriousness for a situation to change. When was the last time we did that? When was the last time I did that? Nehemiah knew what he needed to do. And notice the first thing he did was take it to the Lord in prayer. And that's what we should do, isn't it? We should go to God first about all these things. Whatever they are, we go to God. He's the one who can change situations. The words of the hymn, have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. We take it to the Lord in prayer. And Nehemiah, I'm 800 miles away. I'm in the household of the king. What can I do about this? Well, the first thing I'm going to do is take it to God. And I'm going to seek his face. And we all have situations in which we need God to intervene. We all have situations in which we need God to act upon our behalf. But are we willing to come before him in prayer and maybe fast for our situation? Are we willing to do that for our children, for our health, for our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted around the world, for non-Christian family members? Are we willing to do that for our nation? The pastor and Bible commentator Warren Wearsby said this, it encourages my prayer life when I contrast the earthly throne of Artaxerxes 
with the throne of grace in heaven. Let me read that again. It encourages my prayer life when I contrast the earthly throne of Artaxerxes with the throne of grace in heaven. Because you can't compare them. They're different things. Let's think of the third point as this. So Nehemiah was not moved but burdened. He was not resigned but resolved. And thirdly, he was not threatened but strengthened. In chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it says this. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I'd never been sad in his presence before. Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad since you're not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. Nehemiah had prayed, fasted four months, and now he waited for God to open the door. You know, when God burdens us, when we come before him in prayer, we can trust that he will lead. We can wait for his time. When God sees us doing our part, developing what he's given in you, that burden, then he will do his part and he will open doors that no man can shut. And the opportunity came for Nehemiah via a question from the king. He said, why is your face sad? Since you're not sick, this is nothing but sorrow of heart. You know, sometimes we, we pray and we then start to do things before God opens a way for us. And we have to be really careful of that, that we don't try and kick down doors that we've asked God to open for us. Wait for him. He will open the door. He will show the way. Think in terms of evangelism. You know, sometimes we get a bit anxious about sharing the gospel with someone. Maybe the prayer is, Lord, open a door for me to share the gospel with someone this week. Just let it be really obvious to me, Lord. And this week, rather than you having to approach someone you don't know and you're a little bit anxious about, watch God open a door. A question might come from someone and it lets you in to share Jesus with them. Nehemiah was waiting for a door to open and the door opened here. He said he was never sad before the king, but the king noticed and the question came and Nehemiah recognized that that was an answer to prayer, that God's time had come. But he also said this, he said this, so I became dreadfully afraid. Well, he should do. You know, the king could have just killed him, could have got rid of him. He could have done anything. But he was dreadfully afraid, but he was still going to go for it. You know, friends, uh, as we think about sharing the gospel with people, we, we can be dreadfully afraid, but we've just got to go for it. It's the idea of feeling the fear, but let's do it anyway. And watch our God work. He said, the king had never seen him sad in his presence before. It was not his place to show his feelings. He was there, he's the cupbearer. Just get on with your job. But the king noticed something. And Nehemiah saw this as God's hand at work. And Nehemiah was dreadfully afraid about sharing the burden that he had on his heart. But you know something? We never need to be anxious about sharing our burden with our king. The king, Artaxerxes, saw the sorrow of Nehemiah's face and inquired about the problem. You know, our God sees the sorrow in our hearts and longs for us to share it with him. We're never sure of the reaction of a human leader, but we're always sure of the reaction of our loving Heavenly Father. When we have burdens, when we have issues, we can come before him. He knows already. 
We just share with him. And in verse 3 it says, Nehemiah said to the king, May the king live forever. This was quite customary. He wasn't just crawling, apparently. May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? It's interesting what he says here. He appeals to his heritage. And it somehow sort of works that with the king. Maybe sort of put the king in in his place. What if it was your heritage? What if it was your father's tombs laid in ruin? And the king felt something. Wearsby said this again. Nehemiah was a true patriot whose dreams for the future were motivated by the values for the past. I'll read that again. These are profound things. Wearsby's really good. He said this. Nehemiah was a true patriot whose dreams for the future were motivated by the values for the past. Nehemiah remembering the past with a burden for the future. Um, I bring my son Joel and some of his friends down to youth group here on a Friday night, and that's what I did last Friday night. And I went home, and I was sat at home having something to eat, and uh, uh, my, my phone made a noise. I looked, and it was a message from Joel. And the message was, Dad, how long has Sunbury's Road Mission been around? I thought, what on earth are they doing in their youth group? What's, what's going on? So I, top of my head, honestly, top of my head, I said, I think about around 130 years. Do you know how long it's been around, Phil? 1889, so how many years is it this year? <laughs> Correct. You didn't do maths at uni, did you? Um, 130 years this year. How about, um, just again, 130 years. 130 years, and he was well pleased because they won that point in the quiz or whatever they were doing. But anyway, let's just think about Nehemiah here. This is what Wearsby said. It was a true patriot whose dreams for the future were motivated by the values for the past. Summers Road Mission's values of the past, its mission, Summers Road Mission, is its dreams for the future. You see, what Nehemiah is doing is he's thinking about the past. He's thinking about his forefathers. He's thinking about the glory of the temple. He's thinking about Jerusalem as it was and that brought glory to God. He's thinking about those things and he wants to restore that past glory again to God. And what we want to do here at Summers Road Mission is not sort of hang on about the past, harp on about that, but to say, look, all this legacy, all this stuff that's been done here, we want to drag that into the future and continue as a mission for God to bring glory to God. That's what it's about. I heard a wonderful little tale the other day. How many of you here know a guy? He was, he was the pastor at Thorpe Edge Evangelical Church for a number of years, Bernard Humbleby. I don't know if you know Bernard. Just a little guy, just always smiling, always happy. I was talking to someone the other day um, from Church on the Way, actually. Well, it was Dave Barlow from Church on the Way. And um, he was saying that just before Christmas, they went onto the estate and just took some invites out, went door knocking, invites to one of their uh, Christmas gatherings and took him a little gift as well. He said, and we decided to do it around where Bernard lived. He said, and went to like two or three doors and people were like, what are you doing on my property sort of thing and who are you and all this stuff. He said, it just came into my head that the next door I, need, I knock on, I need to say, did you remember a guy called Bernard Humbleby? And he said, they said that at every door afterwards and everybody knew Bernard. And everybody said, what a lovely guy. He always remembered my kids' birthdays and brought him a card. He always brought us a Christmas card. Oh, he did this. Oh, he did that. And suddenly, from, from being sort of what you're doing on my land, it was like, yeah, great. Bernard, what a legacy. 
Someone unknown to most people. But there he is, just cracking on with his legacy. Friends, we have a legacy here at Sunbridge Road Mission and want to continue that into the future in terms of mission and to bring glory to God. And that's what Nehemiah wanted to do. In verses 4 to 6, it said, Then the king said to me, What do you request? He says, So I prayed to the God of heaven. Now, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because that's one of those sort of quick prayers, emergency prayers you sometimes fire up. I think Phil called it last week an arrow prayer. An emergency prayer you sent out really quickly before God. But remember, this is on the back of him already spending four months in prayer and fasting. He says, So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. He had then asked to wait for the king's response. Then the king said to me, and the queen was sitting beside him, so that's even more scary. His wife was there. How long will your journey be? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Nehemiah prayed for an opportunity, but he also planned for an opportunity. He not only prayed for an opportunity, but he planned for an opportunity. He prayed, believing the Lord would answer. And so he planned. And he planned for God's answer. And the plan was this. He would ask the king two things. He would say, in verses 4 to 6, he would say, send me. And in verses 7 to 8, he would say, give me. He would say, send me. And he would say, give me. You see... He was dreadfully afraid. He was threatened, but he was strengthened by God. And when you hear these words of Nehemiah saying to the king, send me, we're reminded of Isaiah 6, 8, aren't we? Here I am, Lord, send me. There are some people who leave their comfort to be sent. I had um, the the honor of speaking at um, the church founded by Amy Carmichael in Belfast last year. And uh, she ended up as a missionary in India, I think for 55 years, never took furlough. She, she went, she stayed, she left everything behind. That was it. That was it for her. You think of Sam and Hannah from here. You know, just leave the comfort of this country to go and live in a foreign country with their children, to leave the comfort, security, all those things behind. They were not just moved, they were burdened for something. God had burdened them with something. And for Nehemiah here, he's burdened by this. And in verse 7, he says, Furthermore, I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river, that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beans for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple, for the city wall, and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God, upon me isn't that brilliant how he phrases that God's good hand was upon me so much so that it forced this king to move and do everything that I asked that's our God that's our God isn't it that God's hand is upon us in such a way if we truly belong to him that he can move mountains that he can move obstacles and situations things that seem impossible become possible with our God He says, give me letters from you, king, to show that I've been sent by the king with authority from the king. Friends, doesn't that sound like us? You know, we have been given authority in Jesus' name. 
We are sent by the king with authority from the king. That's us. We can go where he sends us. We can do what he calls us to do because we have authority from the king. And when he burdens us with something so much that we feel we've got to act upon this, we've got to do so, not just be moved by it, but burdened by it. We've got to act on this. We've got to move. He will be with us. And he will open that door. And he will provide everything that we need. And the king went even further, didn't he? He sent captains of the army and horsemen with him. He didn't ask for those. God's th- God used the king to just throw those in as some added extras. Where God guides, he provides. And where God guides, there will always be obstacles and opposition. Ain't that the truth? You know, you, you're, what you're burdened for, someone else might not be burdened for. They might not get it. might not understand it. They might sort of try and put you off. Put obstacles in your way, oppose things. And this is what we find here as uh, he arrives. He's on his way to Jerusalem. It says, when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. And we're going to find more as we go through the book of Nehemiah about Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem as well. And they try all kinds of things to intimidate him. They want to harm him. They want to deceive him. They want to influence others against them. But it's God's plan. So their plans were futile. In closing, I want to just think of this. I think of David Livingston, the pioneer pioneer missionary to Africa who walked over 29,000 miles. That's how many miles that John and Pauline do in a week. And they're... (laughs) Um, he walked over 29,000 miles. His wife died early in their ministry and he faced stiff opposition from his Scottish brethren. He ministered half blind. His kind, yeah, sorry, his, kind of persever- his kind of perseverance spurs me on. As I run, I remember the words in his diary, send me anywhere, only go with me. Lay any burden on me, only sustain me. Sever me from any tie, but the tie that binds me to your service and to your heart. What great words. See, Nehemiah was not moved, but he was burdened. Nehemiah was not resigned, but he was resolved. And Nehemiah was not threatened, but he was strengthened to do God's work. May we find something. May God lay something upon our hearts that burdens us. Maybe there are things that are burdening you right now. you're too comfortable don't want to pay the price we don't want to do it maybe something God's been burdening you about for a long time and what are you going to do about that what are we going to do about that you see if we want to see somebody's own mission grow uh, in grace and grow numerically with people coming to know the Lord Jesus it's going to cost us something it's not enough just to be moved by this vision that God's given us we need to be burdened for it and maybe that's why and I say, I can't be there next Saturday because I'm in London. So if you think I'm saying this and, I, and then I don't turn up, maybe, not, maybe we need to be there next Saturday to be praying and constantly praying and fasting over the, the work here, over the new pastor search, over, over our health, over our finances, over our loved ones who've gone away from faith. Let's pray. Let's be burdened for the work of the Lord.